The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, this episode's going to be a review of the Jets game and a preview of the upcoming Browns game. Sands is going to stop by to talk about what went wrong on defense. Justin Lacey's going to come in and give us some positive vibes after that loss. And we're also going to welcome special guest Matt from New Jersey, and he's going to talk about his experiences being a Bengal fan living in New Jersey. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross, and you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Who day? Week 8 Review New York Jets 34, Cincinnati Bengals 31. Man, this one hurt. Wasn't supposed to go down like this. It was kind of like watching a slow death, the way they were just picking us apart with those short passes. But you know, there's no sure things in the NFL. They get paid to play too. Their roster's full of college superstars who came into the NFL. They had a game plan. They watched tape on us. They prepared for us. That's just what happens. You're not going to win every game. If it's any consolation, we are still 5-3. and three. We're still in the playoff hunt. And if you looked at it on paper coming into this stretch of games, you might have said, hey, Baltimore at Baltimore, that could be a loss. You figured maybe we'd split with them. And Jets at Jets, that's probably a win. It kind of got flip-flopped, but we're still the same place that we would have been if you analyzed it on paper. I mean, if that makes you feel better, I hope it does. It kind of makes me feel a little bit better. I mean, it would have been nice to go 6-2, and two, don't get me wrong. But here we are, 5-3, and three, about to face the Browns. A win against the Browns erases this whole loss. All right, so let's go over some general observations from the game. First off, we made Mike White look like a star they picked us apart the short passes and I mean I could go through the whole game for you and tell you play by play what happened but I'm just going to go over the first drive very quickly because this is kind of a microcosm of what they did to us the whole game and you can see it was just breakdowns on various levels constantly so here it is Jets get the ball we're thinking we're going to get this guy three and out Burrow's going to score and you know we're on our way to a 34 to 10 victory didn't happen Let's analyze what they did. So first play, we do kind of that zone blitz scheme where Hubbard drops back into coverage. Gaither missed his assignment, and then we let up a big pass play to the running back. Second play, Wilson falls for a misdirection, and they go right into the area he should have been covering. Third play, Pratt was left one-on-one versus Crowder, their slot receiver. That's a mismatch. Fourth play, now you have Hendrickson dropping back in coverage. Wilson got over there late. And they have a nice tight end slant right down the middle. Hendrickson wasn't able to cover him. Wilson was there late. Another successful play. Fifth play, Von Bell gets cut off in traffic. And his guy, his assignment was the running back who catches the ball wide open in the flat. They had two receivers on that side. And Von Bell took the outside path to the runner as opposed to the inside route. He kind of got caught in traffic there. And that was a reason for a gain. 
Next play, they run left for a loss. So we're thinking, all right, we can stop them in the running game. Then the next play, they run left for a six-yard gain and a first down. So that kind of canceled that success. Next play, just a quick three-yard pass to the running back. So you're already getting a theme for what they're doing. Right away, we should have been thinking, all right, we have to figure out ways to change up the defense that we had coming in because we're, we're noticing they're going to the running back constantly. Next play, Wilson gets caught up in traffic, similar to Von Bell a few plays earlier. He's late getting over to cover the running back. Another successful pass. And then you have the next play where they do the creative trickery and Eli Apple gets called for a pass interference. And then the next play is the Carter sweep for a touchdown. Khalid Kareem got blocked. Wilson got blocked. And he just went right around the edge. No one could touch him. 7-0 Jets. And then we follow up that effort with a 3-and-out. So already the Jets are coming downhill. 7-0. And they get the ball back. Game is not starting off on the right foot. So that was what was going on. It happened all game long. You know, you can watch the tape from the other drives, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. It was all similar things. It was guys missing assignments, guys late to their assignments, and guys getting caught up in traffic and the running backs or tight ends being left wide open. And they were creative. We had Pratt isolated on the slot receiver a couple times in that game, and that's not a matchup that you want. You know, your, your linebackers can cover tight ends, you know, hopefully they can cover a running back out of the backfield. You don't really want to see your linebackers on the outside covering a running back, and you certainly don't want to see them covering a slot receiver. Other observations, we had three turnovers in the first half. Now you figure you have a, a guy making his first start. He has two interceptions in the first quarter. We have the Von Bell strip, excellent play by him, by the way. Three turnovers, first half, we couldn't win that game. You would think on paper you're going to win the game. There's no way. You win the turnover battle, you win the game. And this game just proved to be a fluke, and hopefully it's the exception, and we won't have to go through anything like this for the rest of the year. And then to skip to the end of the game, we're winning 31-20 with over seven minutes left, and we can't close it out. You know, at that at that point in the game when it was 31-20, I'm like, wow, you know, Vegas was right. We're covering the spread. This game is going to look like a blowout, even though it was close. You know, I was already doing the victory dance, 6-2, and two, easy, you know, easy win. It was tough up to here, but we got this game. And it slipped away with them doing the same thing they did the whole game. Really, really frustrating. Now, what I wanted to do going into the game is the Bill Belichick method and what the Ravens like to do. Bill Belichick likes to confuse rookie and young quarterbacks, and the Ravens like to have that confusing front that they ran against us where there's seven, eight guys on the line of scrimmage. You don't know who's coming. So I thought those would be good ideas to run against Mike White. We didn't really do that. We didn't give him confusing fronts. We, we did some zone blitzes where the defensive ends dropped back into coverage, but it was coming out of a four-man front, so it wasn't anything that confusing. And what he did is he saw who was dropping into coverage, and he threw to the guy that the defensive end was covering. So we kind of got beat at our own cleverness. And I think we should have really mixed it up and been a little more clever and a little more deceiving. The offense played well enough to win. 31 points should get you a victory in this league. And I'm not trashing on the defense. They had a bad game. The Jets outsmarted us. Let's put it that way. you know. And the defense has played really well all year and has bailed us out of some games too. So let's not be the kind of fans that when things are going good, we're on your side. When something goes wrong, all of a sudden we want Anna Rumo fired and a bunch of players cut. That's not the way to be. You know, we got to stick by our guys. Yeah, it was a bad game. It was an embarrassing loss. 
you know, as a fan, you wanted to throw your remote through the TV or whatever. I, I get it all. But let's not turn on our on our team. There's still a long way left. We're hopefully going to be playoff bound. And, you know, the, these guys are, are playing their tails off, you know, win or lose. What we have to be careful of is that the Jets might have set up a blueprint to defeat us now. Other teams are going to be throwing to that running back in the flat and going after our linebackers and trying to isolate them. So we have to make sure that we self-scout, watch tape on this game, and figure out how to prevent this from happening again. Because if we can't correct this, we're going to lose a bunch of games, and I just do not want to see that happen. And the Jets punted once the whole game. The Jets, you know, I don't want to diss on them. I mean, like I said, they're an NFL team too, but they were pretty inept on offense this whole season, and they end up punting once in the whole game. And then a couple missed opportunities. We had the Bates interception where, you know, he almost got in the end zone, and you're like, oh, we're fine. You know, Mixon will run it in on the next play. And that turned into zero points. Then you get to the end of the game, and we're in that fourth and 19. It was a shame that we got that sack, because if it was if it was less than the fourth and 19, we probably would have went for it. And I'm still a little torn about not going for it on fourth and 19. I think, in retrospect, it seemed like the right decision, because we, we came within a penalty of getting the ball back. So it technically worked, aside from you know the ref throwing that flag. But I don't know. I think I might have tried like isolating Chase on one side, three wide receivers on the other side, sending Chase down the field and just whipping it up to him and hoping for a pass interference or hoping for some Chase Burrow magic. But, you know, that that is what it is. I'm not the play caller. Obviously, Coach Taylor is, is a much better play caller than I am, so I'm going to trust his judgment there. But I think that could have went either way on that on that late 4th and 19. Because the worst thing, you want to control your own destiny. The worst thing is to punt the ball away and never get the ball back again. And that's what happened. And then the other thing, you know, they're down Mackay Becton, and then the guy who was starting in his place gets hurt, so they're technically on their third string left tackle, and we really couldn't make a big dent on him. Hendrickson got a nice sack, a very important sack, but aside from that, the guy held up, and, you know, that was another key factor. It, it would have when, when he came into the game, and by the way, he's got tattoos of his own name on the back of his arms. That's a little weird in my opinion, but who am I to say? But it didn't matter the tattoos or not. He did his job. And, you know, what could have been a major liability for them was not. And then we gained 41 yards rushing. Even though we scored 31 points and Mixon had a decent day catching the ball out of the backfield, in most games, you're not going to win with 41 yards rushing. I was, I was shocked. I thought it would be an easy 100-yard game for Mixon or at least 100 total yards in rushing between Mixon and Piran. And then I always like to point to a couple possessions. So one would be inside of two minutes what you do with the ball. And we scored a field goal inside of two minutes. And then the Jets came back with a touchdown inside of two minutes. And that's a four-point swing right there. The game was decided by three points. So you can almost point to that last possession for each of us in the first half as being the difference in the game as it often is in games. So that highlights the importance of those possessions. And in this case, the Jets got the better of us. And I always like to go to the first series of the second half to see what kind of adjustments that we make. You know, it's kind of a regular thing that I do when I analyze these games. So let's analyze what happened when we came out of the locker room. First play out of the locker room, we're going to do a run to Mixon. Carmen false start. Not a good way to start. Put yourself at first and 15. We move on from that. We do a nine-yard slant to Higgins. Then we go into the empty formation. 
and we do a quick turnaround to Chase. He gets 21 yards out of it. So we're coming out of the gate now. We got Higgins involved. We got Chase involved. Looking pretty good. Then you figure you can't be throwing the ball constantly. You want to mix it up. So again, first play was going to be a run, but there was a penalty. Now two passes right back to the run. Jets all over it. Mixon three-yard loss. Carmen and Reef got beat on that. And Mixon comes up limping from that. So that was just an ugly play all around. Fifth play was an eight-yard slant to Higgins. So I guess they made a concerted effort to say we're going to get Higgins the ball in that first series. And it was working with the nine-yard slant and the eight-yard slant. And then the last play of that series, which ended up in a punt, it was an incomplete fade to Higgins again. So they targeted Higgins three times on that drive. And unfortunately, we weren't successful and we had to punt. And that's another big series in the game is that first one out of the locker room. All right, so let's fast forward to the end of the game. Joe Burrow, classy enough to go over and shake hands with Mike White and tell him how great of a job that he did, unlike what Lamar Jackson did the week before. So you can see there's two different levels of character between Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson. Very cool, because you know Joe was very upset, very frustrated after that game. And he still was cool enough and mature enough and professional enough to go over and give that young quarterback some praise. And then Bates, Boyd, and Mixon coming up for a joint press conference and all having each other's backs. That's unity. That's what this team has been built on. That's accountability. You know, Bates saying, I know the offense couldn't have been happy with us letting up all those points. And then the offensive guys saying, you know, we we also didn't do our part. It's a team loss. And that's the way you want to be. You don't want to be this team that's pointing fingers at each other after a bad loss like that. Now your locker room is getting a little fractured, and that can only cause bad things. So very good leadership and very good to see our captains sticking together and representing this team in a positive light. Then there were two quotes that I wanted to mention that happened after the game. First, Von Bell, and this is another positive way to look at things. So here's what he said. Just keep on repping it. Keep on repping at practice after practice, Bell said. Keep on taking the next step and just keep working on your craft. That's all you can do. Keep on out there. Just shoot your gun. Play with high confidence. Believe in what you're doing. Believe that guys are going to rally to the ball so it won't be a missed tackle. So we'll clean it up. Again, positivity, good leadership. All of these things bode well for us. His quote, the three guys getting up there, Burrow showing class, Coach Taylor showing accountability, all positive things. It's exactly what you want to see, and that's a winning team. And then the other quote came from the referee that threw that ugly flag at the end of the game. You guys have heard me say this a million times. I will never blame a ref for a win or for a loss. Yeah, that one hurt. Yeah, it was a bad call. We know that. But if you took care of business up to that point, the game would not have been decided by that one bad call. The only thing that I took exception to was the smug attitude that the ref had when asked about it. So one of the writers asked him the same question that Hilton had asked on the field, and it was, what did you want me to do? And the ref, Craig Rolstad, says back, I'm not here to verse you on how to tackle properly, but the rule is that you cannot lower your head to initiate contact on a player with your helmet. So he can hit him with his shoulder, I suppose. Not, not a cool answer. It's just that smug and that's not being accountable. You know, he could have said, I saw it this way. There's a million different ways he could have slanted it rather than, you know, acting above it all and kind of schooling people on how to tackle properly because it was a legitimate tackle. 
Hilton was not going helmet to helmet. He was just trying to go low on the guy and get him at the waist, and the guy went as low as he did. So really bad job out of that official, but you know what? Let's put him in the rearview mirror, and we have bigger and better things to worry about this season. Let's be positive, move on, learn from this, and good things are going to happen this year. All right, so let's go over some key plays from the game. The first key play, even though it didn't result in points, it was a momentum shift, and that was the Bates interception. And when it happened, I was like, oh, we got this game. So what happened was White forced a bullet into really tight coverage. Hilton was right on Crowder. It was almost too hard of a pass from too close range, so it goes off the receiver's hands, bounces right in the air. Bates is alert, grabs it, starts darting down the field with Hubbard in front of him, looking like an easy touchdown. He's got Logan Wilson running with him. And I think Logan Wilson thought the same thing, like, oh, we got this. And Wilson kind of lets up a little bit at the end. By him letting up, one of the other pursuers got to Bates and tackled him. I think if Wilson would have, you know, took that seriously all the way to the end zone, he might have gotten that block and gotten Bates into the end zone. But the next big play was the Pratt interception. White got rid of it early. It hits the running back right in the head. He wasn't expecting it. It bounces in the air, and Pratt makes this great scoop right before it hits the ground, and that sets up a touchdown. So that was good that that we did have that interception turn into a score. Third big play was the Chase touchdown. We're in the red zone, and they're leaving Chase one-on-one in the red zone. The whole game, I was stunned that they didn't just have a safety rolling over that way. They left that corner on an island. And, you know, Chase did have the one drop that should have been a touchdown, and then he had this play, which was a touchdown. That was questionable coaching by the Jets there. I, I would have given the guy help over there, and it burned him once and almost burned him twice. So what we what we had on that was two tight ends, Mixon in the backfield, and two wide receivers, one on each side. Chase is in one-on-one coverage. What does he do? Comes out, does a little comeback route to the front corner of the end zone, and Burrow hits him perfectly. That's kind of a chemistry throw, and it was a great play. And at the time, it was a big play in the game and it gave us the lead. The fourth big play was the Burrow fake to Mixon, passes it to Boyd, and then Mixon continues down the sideline. Boyd hits him with a perfect pass. That's not a short pass. You think about it. The field is, what, 52 and a half yards wide? You know, that was like a almost a 40-yard throw across the field to Mixon on a dime, and Joe was running hard. You know, he left his feet. He got flipped, landed awkwardly. Of course, not hurt on that. But a beautiful 46-yard gain. Unfortunately, that was one of those plays where in the red zone, inside the 10 at that point, and we couldn't convert that into a touchdown. We ended up getting a field goal out of that drive. Another big play was the touchdown to Boyd. So we have three wides, a tight end, and a running back. We sent Boyd in motion. He heads out into the end zone, starts going towards the middle of the field. No one's open. Burrow buys time and rolls out to the right. Boyd finds his quarterback's eyes, and that's what you should be doing as a receiver. If anyone out there has ever played quarterback, that's what you tell your receivers. Find my eyes. And that's what happened. He could have easily just continued on his route and been oblivious, but he saw where Burrow was going. He came back. They made that eye contact, and Burrow delivers the perfect strike, another excellent pass, and a touchdown for Tyler Boyd. And then the next two plays that were key were unfortunately negative plays for us. That Ty Johnson touchdown was unnecessary. You know, he catches the ball in the flat. We have three guys get over there, and Wilson misses the tackle. 
Awuzie uncharacteristically misses the tackle, and Gaither misses the tackle, and he dives into the end zone. We thought he stepped out of bounds. He didn't. They reviewed it. Big touchdown for the Jets, 31-27 at that point, and that was how they got back in the game. And then the other big play was the pick. Oh, it was so ugly. You know, we've been doing that play successfully all year with the misdirection to the right, come back to the left. The Jets did their homework. You know, that edge rusher knew what we were going to do. He was right there. He jumps up, gets in the way of the pass, makes an incredible tip, and catches his own tip. An excellent play by Shaq Lawson. Ice the game. And if Chase would have gotten it, he you know, he would have been probably marching a few yards down the field, close or close to a first down, if not a first down. We would have been chewing up time on the clock, and that probably would have got us on the path to victory. So that one play really tipped the scale in this game. All right, so let's analyze some of the individual performances in this game. We'll start off with Joe Burrow. He is exceptional. I know we lost the game. I know we had the one pick, but almost every one of his throws was on target. He was moving around well. He, he is exceptional at doing his job. And that loss can't be blamed on him. I mean, three touchdown passes, a passer rating of 102, another game where he's over 100 in passer rating. And you know I'm always taking Burrow's side, so maybe I'm biased. But watch the game. You know, he was throwing under pressure. He was throwing while getting hit. Still maintains that accuracy that not a lot of quarterbacks have. That 54-yard pass to Higgins was dropped in, and that's across the field with a corner right on Higgins and a safety coming over. That There's a very narrow window to drop that ball in. So those are examples of great throws by him. Again, the, the pass to Boyd, even the bullet to chase in the front of the end zone, all excellent throws. And it was rare to see Joe angry. He slammed his helmet down. He was visibly frustrated. He actually kind of called out his players a couple times, which you never see him do. You know, they had the one play with Uzama and Boyd. They, I don't know, it was a miscommunication. I think one of them ran the wrong route. And he did have Boyd for the touchdown, but Boyd didn't even know the ball was coming. And Joe was really frustrated at that point. So, I mean, I, I like his fire, but it's, it's very rare to see him lose his composure like that. And I understand. I mean, I was losing my composure in my living room, too, watching this game. All right, let's quickly go over the Joe Burrow sacks, which I really don't want to do, but I, I feel that I need to break them down for you guys. So on the first one, Spain was beat by Quinn and Williams. It was on a fourth and goal, and it led to pushing us back and not scoring after the Jesse Bates interception. What happened was he got beat by speed. You know, Spain got beat off the line, got turned sideways, and just couldn't get enough leverage to keep him away. And he tried to push him to the outside, but Williams grabbed Burrow by the jersey and didn't let go and pulled him down. So excellent play by Williams. And again, Spain was not beat by power on that play. It was beaten by speed. Second one, Riley Reef got beat cleanly right off the line. You know, the kind of play that you want to see out of Hendrickson and Hubbard that we have been seeing out of our pass rushers. Well, it got done to us. Joe fumbled on the play and was shaken up on the play. So definitely a, a pretty dark moment in that game. And then the third sack was kind of the game-ender that put us in the fourth and 19 at the end. It was a stunt on Reef and Trey Hill. No one opened immediately for Burrow, so Burrow goes down, forces the punt. Bengals were never to see the ball again. 
The interception I spoke about before, it was the misdirection. Like I said, the Jets probably watched their film. And that was a play, I think Spain released his guy a little bit early on that. But that was really more of a great individual effort by Shaq Lawson. All right, on to some of the skill players. Chase had a pretty quiet game. You know, he's not going to have two touchdowns and 100 yards and a bomb every game. It's just it's impossible to keep that pace up, especially when teams are game planning against you. They gave him his fair share of targets. I like the fact that they had him in the backfield and he ran for that one first down. I want to see a little more of that. Not too much more, but he does have the frame where you can put him in the backfield in a pinch. Mixon very solid in the passing game. Continues to run hard. Does everything that you want out of a running back. And then Higgins, they were targeting him a lot, especially right out of the locker room in the second half. He had that one-hander, which was excellent. He caught the long pass. And when he had that really great one-handed catch, you saw on the next play they went for him. I think it was on like a quick out route to try to get him the touchdown. I like when teams do that. When a guy makes a great individual effort, doesn't get in the end zone, but you try to get him the ball on the next play to say, hey, here's your touchdown. I thought that was cool of, of Coach Taylor, and I didn't think it was predictable. It just didn't work. But I like the fact that they tried to get him in the end zone after that phenomenal catch. And C.J. Uzama shined. I think he had a a nice game. He had an important first down early. Wasn't targeted a bunch, but whenever he was called upon, he did his job. And he continues to have a great season. His best season yet as a Bengal, in my opinion. And Tyler Boyd had a bunch of big plays, more so in the fourth quarter. And that's when you want to have him. So he produced just like we would expect Tyler Boyd to produce. The offensive line had trouble with Rankins and Williams. Hopkins was getting bounced around. He, he's been playing solidly. He had a rough opener, and every week since then has been a progression, and this week was a setback. He was really, it was leverage and, and strength. He was just getting beaten by power in there, and he didn't have an answer for it. And it was tough on the run game, and it was tough on Burrow getting that pressure right up the middle constantly. Jackson Carmen had the same thing. He was, he was getting overpowered in there, and then he hurt his back. So it wasn't a good day or a fun day for him as well. I hope he's okay. They said it's nothing major. like to see him back in the lineup next week. Trey Hill struggled in his absence, but it was only a handful of snaps. Reef didn't have his best day either. I don't want to keep trashing on these linemen. I mean, we're going to be depending on these guys. They've had a decent year up to this point. I mean, Reef was technically responsible for two of the sacks. So, you know, that's that. Jonah had a, had a pretty good game as well. He, Again, early in the game, he struggled a little bit, like he has been, but he seems to always snap it together and put together good games, and I think that he had the best game of any lineman in this game. All right, on to the defense. Sam Hubbard continues to play well. He had a very good game, three batted balls, a bunch of run stops. He was in there on some goal line plays, too, so he continues to excel, and again, he's. it just seems like he's getting better and better every week. And we're going to need him against Cleveland, especially with that run attack. Khaled Kareem was a little bit rusty. He struggled a little bit this game, but you, you can expect that. He hasn't played in a long time. I, who knows if his shoulder is, is fully 100%. He had the late hit, which was not a wise play by him. It, it, it was clearly a late hit and gave them 15 yards at a key time in the game, so it did hurt us. I honestly think they had him in there for too many snaps. I think when you're bringing a player like that back, you limit his snaps a little bit. And overall, the defensive line led up too many four-plus-yard runs. You know, not a whole bunch of really big runs. The early touchdown was frustrating. But we've been locking down guys in the middle, and this game we got pushed around a little bit. So 
you know, we can't do that against the Browns or we're not going to win. We can't have Chubb have the game that Michael Carter had or else it's going to be a disaster. And Hendrickson didn't have his best game, but he did have that huge red zone sack in the fourth quarter. And that's another four-point swing. You know, that could have been a touchdown drive for them. It ends up in a field goal. So he kind of saved us four points there. And although it wasn't his best game, I still feel that he's continuing to play at a very, very high level. The linebackers really struggled this game, and I hope it's just the exception and not the norm. Logan Wilson is having a great year, and this this game, for some reason, he was getting exposed. He, he wasn't reacting like he normally does. His coverage was suspect. He got pancaked a couple times. He was out of position. Again, let's just get the Logan Wilson from the Ravens game and prior and just say that the Jets game was just a bad game for everyone. And that's what I was talking about at the top of the show. This can't be, well, Logan Wilson's horrible. We need to get a new linebacker next year. You can't base that off of one game. Don't give up on our guys like that. I almost felt they should have used a little more of Ricardo Allen when we saw how how often they were going to the running back and our linebackers were struggling in coverage. That might have been time to do a little more of that three-safety look. I thought Hilton had a good game and, again, continues to tackle well. I thought Awuzie had a good game. Not a perfect game. He did let up a touchdown, but I thought he played well. Von Bell had a good game tackling as well, and he had that one big strip in recovery, which could have been a game changer. Eli Apple was pretty solid this game, too. And I thought Jesse Bates, he had the big interception, you know, was all over the field doing his job. I don't know who was responsible on the go-ahead touchdown to Croft. My eyes said it was Jesse Bates. I don't know. Maybe the coaches felt a different way. Special teams, not much to report here. Huber had three inside the 20 and zero touchbacks, so that, that's a good game out of him. New thing that I'm seeing all over the NFL, when the ball's kicked in the end zone, just down it and take it at the 25. It seems like 95% of the time the returner doesn't get past the 25 and takes unnecessary hits. So I think the rule of thumb, just my theory, should be if it doesn't go in the end zone, obviously return it. If it goes in the end zone even a half a yard deep, just Cut your losses and take it out on the 25. So that's it. Horrible week, but it's not going to define our season. Let's stay positive. We have a lot to look forward to. We have a good team that's united and very fun to watch. There's a long way to go this year. I think good things are going to happen. And just a quick side note, I got my income tax return. It was like $4,000, and normally that money goes towards like catching up on bills or like buying things that I need. And going into this game... I was like, I'm just going to throw it on the Bengals on the money line. It, it was like a negative 550. For those that don't gamble, that's it doesn't pay that much. But $4,000 would have paid 800 And I'm thinking, that's the easiest 800 I ever made. The Bengals will never lose this game. But something inside me said, no, there's no sure things in the NFL. Don't do that. If you don't have money to burn, don't do that. So I decided not to make that bet. So that was probably the best decision that I or anyone in the Bengals organization made all weekend. X's and O's with Sans. All right, we're here with Sans. Sans, how are you today? I'm doing all right. How are you doing, Frank? I'm probably doing about the same as you. So, Sans, explain to me, help me out. How were they able to exploit us so badly with the passes to the running back and the slants and the tight end passes? What was going on? The coordinator for the Jets, the offensive coordinator, Michael Flores, uh, San Francisco 49ers guy and what those guys are known for is really attacking linebackers in space so the Bengals wanted to play a bunch of zone 
and he responded by isolating Jermaine Pratt against people like Jamison Crowder, and then even when they wanted to go man, it was just late reactions, uh, guys not getting through traffic. Logan Wilson manned up on the running back, and he he would either not get there in time, and the running back would turn it upfield, gain 15 yards on a one-yard flat route, or he'd get there and he'd miss the tackle. So he had a really rough day, uh, which is tough, seeing that he's having like a career year. This game, I think PFF charted him at 190 yards given up in the past game. And watching the film, I believe it, because he, it was rough on him. Yeah, they just really attack the linebackers. The Bengals like to stack the front and then just have one, maybe two linebackers behind it. And the Jets really exploited that with motions, the flat, just slant flat, just classic concepts that have been staples since Bill Walsh was coaching. Slant flat, curl flat, things It's just read this guy, and if it's, if it's zone, read this guy, and if he widens, then throw the curl. If he sits, then throw the flat, or a slant, same thing. If he follows the slant, throw the flat. If he follows the flat, throw the slant. It's just... It was too easy for the Jets and Mike White to do that. They did, Bengals also would line up and the covers they're playing and just play it. They line up in cover three, they just play cover three. It's not confusing a young quarterback. He's played against cover three since he was 15. So I think they had a pretty poor game plan, and I think even worse was the linebacker play. How do we correct this against the Browns? With Baker Mayfield, a little bit more experienced, but I still think you want to give him some interesting looks you want to start in a cover three look and play cover two or flip a guy over and play quarters or something you want to play some you want to confuse him a little bit pre-snap so that the pass rush is time to get home make him get to his second read instead of being able to just make the first read and go linebackers have to play better too it's, it's not all on the coaching staff it's it's linebackers have to read react and move quicker so i think they can do it they've been doing it all year but yeah rough one in new york what was going on in the sands household at 415 yesterday <laughs> uh i was angry but i had to go get ready to pass out candy to trick-or-treaters so i mean once you start seeing little kids in their costumes that kind of cheered me up so i wasn't too bad <laughs> see little dinosaurs and stuff i thought it was fine <laughs> you're a class act my friend how do people find you on social media you can find me at bangles underscore sands on twitter unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome Justin Lacey. All right, we're here with Justin Lacey. Justin, how are you today? I'm stunned. Um, unexplainable. Uh, unexplainable Halloween NFL weekend. And, you know, I'm definitely going to try to do my best to keep my composure because there were too many times that I wanted to flip out uh, based off of what just transpired. And then I just kind of quickly came to a, a resolution, a resounding point where this is the National Football League. And any given Sunday can happen to any given team. But other than that, I'm, I'm doing okay. And if you wanted to see what Kirk Cousins looked like and get a, like a rebranded version of what he was back in his you know prime hitting days with Washington and then the early stages of Minnesota, that's Kirk Cousins that we saw yesterday in Mike White. Mike White did not do anything special, but the Bengals let him be special off of dink and dunk play action passes for most of the afternoon. And the Bengals pretty much fooled themselves by 
covering the deep passes, which they don't even have any deep receivers top of you. And they should have just played disciplined football and then just tackled underneath, and they didn't even tackle very well. But all, all in all, it was a tough loss. It was unexplainable. I can't really explain it, so I'm not even going to try to explain it. But, however, this team is still in a really good position right now. This team is still fine for everything they always hoped for. Yes, yesterday's loss was a setback, but it's not over. You still got the division that's still in, up in hand. You're still 2-0 in the division. You got another division game coming up. Everything's still right in front of you. Just go out and win the game next week. So what would you tell the team going into next week against Cleveland? Well, there's a two-part thing that I would say if I was speaking to the team in the locker room. Number one, you need to feel this burn of this loss. You really need to feel that you had a major letdown. And I understand, you know, the team may have probably talked about it throughout all week week of practice that they weren't going to get fat happy off of success about the throttling that they gave the Baltimore Ravens a week ago. But guess what exactly happened? You got fat happy off of success. And what ended up happening was the unthinkable, which was you overlooked the New York Jets. Now, I'm sure that it wasn't their intentions, that they've talked about not allowing the letdown games, but I also thought that they inadvertently – psych themselves into a letdown game because they knew coming up on the horizon which is the Cleveland Browns. So, that game's over. Bury it and move on. You had a chance to win it, especially with the 11-point lead with seven and a half minutes to go in the game. It's over. Focus on the Cleveland Browns. You're not going to allow Baker Mayfield come into Paul Brown Stadium again and beat you again. You're not going to let it happen. This is the Battle of Ohio and this is, this is a serious bout now. Let's just... Forget what happened in New York, okay? You're back at home now. Just give the fans a treat. Give them a win. Give them a smile on their face before you go into the bye week. And let's just keep this thing humming. This Everything is still in front of you. You know what? Those are encouraging words. I hope the guys listen to what you're saying. Um, going back to the game, and I hate to rub salt in the wounds, but what was going on in the Justin Lacey household at 4.15 yesterday? And how did the rest of the Sunday go for you? of the curse of Halloween because you remember back in 2013 the Cincinnati Bengals were flying in hot going into a Thursday night game against the Miami Dolphins that seems and then Andy Dalton throws three interceptions and loses the game off a walk off safety from Cam Cam Lake Um, it really felt like that that was happening all over again and it's not just the Bengals it happens to a lot of different teams in the NFL Tom Brady just lost the game against Trevor Simeon and the the New Orleans Saints, like, that stuff just, it's, you can't really explain it, but it just happens. It was very equivalent to, like, you know, an undefeated varsity team loses against a JV team that only had one win on their season. It, it felt like that. <laughs> you can't really explain it, but it just happened. So that was what's going on in my mindset, and as I was just watching it, like, I can't believe that something just weird and freakishly bad that just happened like that. And I kind of came up with, you know what, that's kind of the that's kind of the curse of Halloween on the NFL Sunday. And to add salt to the wounds in the other NFL landscape, Derrick Henry breaks his foot. He has to go through – he may potentially miss the rest of the season. I mean, the report's showing that he's out for six to ten weeks. But that just goes to show you, man, it's, it's a lot of weird things that happen in the NFL, more specifically on Halloween weekend. And you know what? You're so level-headed and so philosophical. I, I can't get too down when I talk to you about this team. Justin, how do people find you on social media? 
I am on Instagram at Juddy13, J-U-T-T-Y-13. More platforms are to be coming on the horizon soon, but that is still how you can find me. I'm happy to engage with any Bengals fans, talk football, talk everything. Excellent, my friend. I'll talk to you next episode. Thank you so much, Frank. Week 9 preview, Cincinnati Bengals versus Cleveland Browns. First play, three wide receivers, tight end, running back. We let Miles Garrett have the best of Jonah Williams. Come on in, buddy. Let's go. Go get Burrow. What do we do? We have mix and release, a little screen pass that way with a tight end on that side. March downfield, let him blast Greedy Williams and watch Mixon run over the safety. Let's go for 12, 15 yards right off the bat. Second play, three wide receivers and a tight end. We send a wide receiver in motion on Garrett's side, and he cracks down on Garrett. Mixon sweep right around that side. Let's go at their best player right away. Let's have Garrett confused. Wow, they just let me in, went right over me. Now they're sending in someone from the outside to get in my way. They just went around me. Maybe that'll slow him down for a few steps. I mean, he's going to be hard to slow down the whole game. Let's get him thinking early. Maybe we can get the edge on him, get in his head a little bit, maybe get the early advantage there. Third play, we go to my favorite formation. Four wide receivers, two on each side, mixing in the backfield. We have Boyd in the slot on the line of scrimmage. We have Chase offset on the outside. Boyd hits it deep. Chase comes underneath with a slant. Get Jamar the ball in space on that slant. He beats the corner. He runs through a tackle or two. I don't know. That could go for 50. It could go for 12, but it could go for 50. That's the way I would start this game. All right, let's move on to some offensive strategy. So the first thing in general, offense, defense with the Browns, just win your matchup. I know that's just common sense, and that's what football is. Just beat the guy that you're responsible for. But let's take that seriously. Win your matchup. I don't care about the name of the guy that you're facing. I don't care about the reputation of the guy that you're facing. Just win. Win on every play. Win more than you lose, and you will win this game. It doesn't matter if it's Miles Garrett. It doesn't matter if it's Landry. It doesn't matter if it's Chubb. I can go down the list. Win your matchups. Okay, so some specific strategies. We're going to have to double Garrett. We're going to have to get on him all day. You can't leave him one-on-one with any tackle in this league. He's the best defensive end in the league. He's a game wrecker. He's a threat. If he gets any really clear shots on Burrow, he could easily hurt him. He could hurt anybody in the league. I don't want to see Garrett all over Joe Burrow this game. Do anything you can to stop it. You get a tight end chipping on him. You, you get P. Ryan in his face, even a wide receiver in motion. Whatever it takes, don't leave him one-on-one much. And if you're going to leave him one-on-one, move away from him. Roll out to the other side. Have some motion. Run to the other side. Stay away from this man. I know my first couple plays were going right at him, but I don't think that you can rely on that all game. I think the shock factor of going at him right away is is clever, but it's not sustainable. You have to stay away from Miles Garrett if you want to win this game and if you want to keep Burrow healthy. So then there's a couple matchups that we can exploit. I think if we send Tyler Boyd against Troy Hill, that's a that's a big matchup for us. I don't think Denzel Ward is playing. I'm not positive. The injury report is so sketchy. It's it's only it's early in the week, so you don't know the definites. And I think that Boyd will have his number if you can get some isolation there. Then I think you want to exploit Ronnie Harrison in coverage as well. You know, how do you do that? You try to get a tight end out there. 
A slot receiver can do that. Maybe a running back. You want to try to isolate that safety. This might not be the game to have Burrow drop back 40 times, especially with Garrett in there. Clowney's not a great pass rusher, but he is a threat. You know, they can get some push up the middle as well, especially if Jackson Carmen is still banged up, and especially if Hopkins struggles like he did last game. So we want to mix in a lot of mixing and a lot of Samaj P. Ryan. You know, P. Ryan will run through a brick wall, and, you know, that's one of the ways to go after the Browns. And then, as I've said the last couple episodes, you have to get Jamar Chase going early, no matter who's covering him. He can beat Greedy Williams. He could beat Craig Newsom. I mean, look what he did to Humphrey. I think the key is get him the ball early and get him the ball often, no matter who's on him. Use Jamar Chase. Use your running backs. Get Tyler Boyd involved. Stay away from Garrett. I think those are the keys offensively. Concerns? They have a lot of good players on defense. As we said, Garrett, Clowney. Their linebackers are excellent in coverage with Anthony Walker, Malcolm Smith, uh, Koromoa, I don't, I don't think, I think he's banged up. But if he plays, he's a dangerous third, fourth linebacker. Then you go to the secondary with Williams, Newsom's playing well. Johnson's hurt with a neck injury, but I think he's playing. If Denzel Ward plays, that's an issue. You know, just a lot of players all over that defense that can do some damage. So you're going to have to be creative. You're going to have to not be predictable, and you're going to have to win your matchups. Defensive strategy. You have to self-scout from that Jets game. You have to watch that tape. You have to have those players watch that tape. You have to have them say, this is what I did wrong. This is what I'm going to do to correct it. And you have to practice how they're going to correct that constantly during this week. Because if the Browns match the blueprint and they have better personnel than the Jets, it's going to be very tough. You know, Dearness Johnson's going to be deadly out of the backfield if they're going to get him in space, more deadly than Michael Carter was. And we all know that Chubb is one of the best backs in the league, even if he's banged up. And their offensive line up the middle is really strong. Their their center and the two guards are like top of the league. And we're very good in the middle as well with our four defensive tackles that rotate in. So that's going to be a nice matchup to watch. But I think that leads to attacking those tackles. Conklin is questionable. I don't think he's going to be playing. Jedrick Wills is a high draft pick with a big name, but he's not having the best season either. So I think they're a little more vulnerable on the outside. And this could be the way that Hubbard's been playing and the way that Hendrickson's been playing all year. Those could be the matchups that, that you really want to exploit and you know get, get up on those tackles and get some hits on Mayfield. Concerns when we're on defense? A lot of weapons. Even though Beckham's not having a good year, he's a threat. Even though Landry's banged up, he's a threat. Again, they have that great interior offensive line. And then you have Chubb. Hunt's out, but Dearness Johnson showed that he's a good back as well. I mean, tight end, Hooper and Joku. You have both of those guys that can do damage. Wide receivers, you have Landry, Beckham, Higgins, who they got him for like a million a year, a million and a half a year. When he was a free agent, I so badly wanted the Bengals to pick him up. We could have put him in as our fourth wide receiver, fifth wide receiver. It would have done two things. It would have upgraded our wide receiver core because I think he's a great receiver, and it would have hurt the Browns. And they got him back for next to nothing, and that that was a player that I think would have been a great signing for us. Peoples-Jones is banged up, but he's a dangerous receiver, and Schwartz is a speedster. You know, he'll probably get two, three touches a game, but if you can't get a hand on him, he could go a long way. So there's a lot of weapons to be concerned about on this offense as well as on their defense. So we're going to have to really play sound football and come in with a good game plan and execute 
and beat our division rivals. Let's go. This is a very winnable game. The Browns didn't put up a lot of points against the Steelers. The Steelers do have a very good defense, so anything can happen. But you can't just say, oh, the Browns are 4-4 four and four and Mayfield's banged up. This is an easy win. Nah, this is going to be a very, very tough game. So my prediction for the game, I'm thinking low scoring. I'm thinking Bengals two touchdowns, three field goals. Browns two touchdowns, two field goals. 23-20 Bengals, 6-3 going into the bye. 3-0 in the division on the path to the playoffs. Sky's the limit. Everything's in front of us. We beat the Steelers. We beat the Ravens. And now we beat the Browns. And let's go. The unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome Matt from New Jersey. All right, we're here with Matt from New Jersey. Matt, how are you today? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm all right. I know it was a pretty tough loss for us yesterday. Um, What are your thoughts on how the season's going so far? The team has already exceeded my expectations. I think that going into this week, if you would have told me a few weeks ago that we were going to be 5-3 and three going into Cleveland, I would have taken that all day. I honestly had us winning about seven games this year, so anything, as long as we're over 500, like I'm perfectly fine with that. I, I think that the team has far surpassed my expectations. Aside from this past uh, game, the defense has played well. The offense seems to really be hitting their stride. We were really run heavy in the beginning of the year, and I feel like they've uh, gone more towards the passing game, which plays to our strengths. So, I mean, we've scored over 30 in the past three games, but, you know, defense, we got to have a full, we got to show up on both sides of the ball. We can't just have a good offense performance, a good defensive performance. And we had that for about two weeks, and uh, it feels like the defense took a step back yesterday. Yeah, and I'll tell you, that was one of the things that was going on when we were a losing team the last couple seasons. It felt like one of the phases let us down. You know, maybe the offense would play great and there would be a special teams breakdown or a defensive breakdown, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. At some points, I felt like I was watching the team from last year with all the dump-offs to the running back, the uh, tight end just running uh, cross routes unguarded. It's just it's frustrating because you know that they're so much better than this they've they've shown us that they've been better than this and it's it's just frustrating to see them uh, I don't want to say regress but play down to a team that we had no business losing to 100% and you know before we got on the air you and I were talking about the leadership how that might carry us through this year as compared to the the old regime of leadership I'm not even talking about the coaching staff but I'm talking about the players do you want to expand on that thought Matt yeah after the game seeing uh, Jesse Bates Tyler Boyd and Joe Mixon up there at the podium t- saying that they have each other's back. It's uh, it's kind of refreshing to see because uh, we're a few years removed from, you know, Andy Dalton, AJ, Gino. Andy Dalton wasn't – I mean, like, I got nothing against Andy, but he wasn't the leader that Burrow is. Gino and AJ were kind of quiet. Like, it was a big deal whenever Gino would even talk to the media. And seeing these three captains up there – you know, uh, taking the bull by the horns, answering the tough questions, it's really encouraging. I hear you on that. What do, what do you think for the rest of the season the formula is for us getting back on track and getting into the playoffs? We just got to keep doing what we're doing. Uh, defense. We have to play a complete game. Defense has to uh, – they don't have to be perfect. They just have to 
put us in a position where we're, where they're now losing the game because the offense has shown that they can go out and score 30 plus points a game. As long as we just keep scoring and, you know, it, it's, it sounds so cliche and uh, sim- simplified, but stop teams from scoring and let the offense do what they got to do. I heard that you were at a wedding yesterday surrounded by a bunch of Jets fans. How, how was, how was that experience? Oh man, I uh, I was wearing a uh, Bengals je- um, a Bengals vest underneath my jacket. <laughs> I'm sitting at the table. The place had a bar, so some people were in there watching the um, the game. I chose not to. I just hear people yelling, uh, you know, the Jets chant, J E T S, Jets, 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 and I got so embarrassed. I'm sitting at a table, and there's four other Jets fans there with me, and they're all just staring at me. So I, I excused myself. Walked to my car and uh, took the vest off and came back without it. I don't blame you. That's a tough crowd to be around. An interesting fact, Matt, you're on Twitter. Your handle is Matt from New Jersey, and we became friends through Twitter. And then in talking with each other, I realized that you live one town over, which is pretty crazy. I know we haven't met face-to-face yet. That's coming in the near future. How did you become a Bengals fan living in New Jersey? I get that question asked me all the time. Uh, I became a Bengals fan about about 20 years ago. I was uh, I was it was right after the um, Titans and uh, Rams Super Bowl. I didn't even follow football at the time. I was like 10 years old. I remember watching a documentary on ESPN about Corey Dillon and uh, one of those NFL Films documentaries. And I, I remember just being like, "Wow, this guy's incredible!" Like he's just just look at him the size the speed i didn't even know anything about football but i like i knew that i like this guy and uh, what really stood out to me was the helmet i love the bengal's helmet so ever since then um cory dillon's my favorite player of all time but i became a bengal's fan and started following the team and um you know when when you when you live in our area and somebody's not a giants or a jets fan or even eagles um you usually see like fans of teams that have like a bunch of Super Bowl wins like you see a lot of Cowboys fans you see a lot of Steelers fans but um like I had no knowledge of any of that stuff at the time so I was like I like these guys and I've stuck with it ever since I respect that so much and you're exactly right I live in the same area that you do and I'm like why are there so many Steelers fans and Cowboys fans and even 49er fans and you know you're thinking that they're all front runners so the fact that you picked a team that you liked and stuck with them through thick and through thin, I think that's way more honorable than just saying, hey, I like the winners. You know, a lot of these guys, they're Yankee fans, which I am too, just by being born into it. But, you know, I don't just follow teams that win. I pick a team that I like for various reasons, and I and I stay loyal to them no matter what. The only the only teams that I uh, like that aren't even New York teams, like like you said, you're a Yankee fan. I'm a Yankee fan as well. I like the, uh, I like the Rangers. The only teams that I like that aren't from New York are the Bengals and uh, the Orlando Magic. And there you go. Two respectable organizations. Matt, how do people find you on social media? Uh, you could find me at Hude Hooligan on Twitter. It comes up Hude Hooligan or Matt from Jersey. Excellent work, my friend. I'll be talking to you soon. All right, man. Thanks for having me. AFC North standings. The 5 and 3 Bengals are currently in second place in the AFC North. They trail the Ravens who are 5 and 2 
and they're ahead of the 4-3 and three Steelers and the last place 4-4 four and four Cleveland Browns. The Bengals are currently the fifth seed in the AFC. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to be a review of the Browns game, and it's also going to be our mid-season review of the Bengals' 2021 season and how everything has gone up to this point. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast.